on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. What a big thanks to the two Johnnies in Africa for the afternoon entertainment. It is Tuesday, February 27th, and you are listening to Game On with me, Shane Dawson, alongside Ruby Walsh. Coming up between now and 7pm, Paul Carey and Rebecca Cray are standing by to preview Ireland's friendly against Wales in Tallis Stadium this evening. And sticking with soccer, Mark Langdon will round up all the action across Europe. We'll be joined by Belfast Telegraph journalist Adam McKendry, who has the latest on Casement Park and Ireland's bid for the beginning of the Tour de France, or... Adventure for it anyway. And as we edge closer to Cheltenham, Danny Mullins joins us to chat racing. Yes, lots to look forward to as always. And if you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552, WhatsApp 087-187-9200 or we're on X at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Good evening, Ruby. How are you? Absolutely wonderful, Shane. How are you? I'm all the better for chatting to you, Paul Curry. You've told tonight. Ah, but stop! But just stop! I'm just easing. I'm easing ourselves in because I know we have a big horse racing ch- chat coming up, Ruby. So you know, I'm just trying so you're to. Just going to tune out for that, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to provide secondary questions for you. Paul Curry's laughing. We're going to rely on him now to ask Danny Mullins a few questions. <laughs> well, Paul Curry won't be laughing when we mention Wembley because I know he was at that very, uh, very match, that uh, sixth cup final defeat in a row for Chelsea. Have but you bef- been at all six, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> I have not, but I was at the Champions League final, Ruby, when they beat Man City one now. Was that in black and white? <laughs> Before we get into racing and football and plenty more besides, this week on Game On, we are teaming up with Energia to give away some fantastic prizes. You could be roaring on the Ireland women's rugby team at one of their home games in this year's Guinness Six Nations. We have got match tickets, signed jerseys, spending money and much, much more to give away uh, across the week. Don't be just half a fan. Think of the possibilities and get behind the Ireland women's rugby team. So on this evening's show, you could win a family set of four tickets, a signed Ireland women's rugby jersey and €100 Euro spending money for games against Italy, Wales or Scotland. To be win a chance to win, simply answer the following question. What is the name of the governing body of men and women's rugby in Ireland? If you know That's the answer. seriously a question. It, it, that is the serious question. What is the name of the governing body of men and women's rugby in Ireland? We will accept the full name or the four letters, either or. That's how generous we are here in Game On, Ruby. So if the listener, if you, the listener, know the answer, simply text the word ENERGIA along with your name, answer and email address to 51552. As always, RT competition terms and conditions apply. See 2FM.ie for details. So the question again, the difficult question again, Ruby, what is the name of the governing body of men and women's rugby in Ireland? So That's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I've already yeah. given the clue. Anyway, there's, there's four letters. We will accept Probably four letters. I don't know it. You haven't really much business going to a rugby match, have you? Well, this is true. This is true. Um, Paul Carr, you were at Wembley. Listen, I know we, we, we spoke about it on yesterday's show as well. Um, Fergal Brennan was there and he was bigging up the atmosphere as well. Obviously, you came away disappointed considering your, your loyalties to uh, the uh, the losing team. But uh, as, as a trip, as, as a stadium, as, as a match. Oh, the stadium is incredible. Yeah. Oh my God, to go watch Trying to game. pluck positivities there. Yeah, it was, it was brilliant. And to be honest with you, it was a really good game, particularly the 90 minutes as nil alls go. And um, I know there's been a lot made of Gary Neville's sort of throwaway comment that he must have been preparing all week. Just didn't just roll off the tip of his tongue um, once the game was finished. I thought Chelsea played quite well. And I know they were playing against a depleted Liverpool side, but I thought some of their play was particularly good. But unfortunately, the Achilles heel that is as 
held Chelsea back for a lot of the season has just been their ruthlessness in both boxes and I mean for the Liverpool goal you look at who scored Virgil van Dijk look around at the there were many players that were on the pitch at that time no other Liverpool player was going to score from that set piece surely you just get your hands on him and, and block his run and just try to disrupt his flow and Chelsea were a bit naive in that sense and then just not good enough in, in the in Liverpool's box they created more than enough chances and, and probably the better chances on the day but just nowhere near ruthless in, in front of goal and that has been like I mentioned the the situation for much of this year and the, listen some of these eight year contracts that they've handed out there'll be question marks over some of those players and you could probably go to, through two or three of them and already start to wonder how long they're going to be at Chelsea but I think they're making progress unfortunately that progress isn't equating to to titles or points but you can certainly see what Pochettino is trying to do but they still look <laughs> remarkably a bit short in, in certain departments even with all the money they've spent is Poch going to be there for that progress? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, some of the stuff, you have to be careful what you digest on social media. You see that clip that was going around saying that he blanked Bowley after yeah, the game? With the, the he handshake. clearly shakes Bowley's hand yeah. when, when you slow it down. And I don't think that there's any sort of unrest there between himself and Bowley and, and the you know the board there. I think he'll be given time. And I think as long as they continue to, to look like they're on somewhat of a path, they'll stick with him but he has to start winning more games and they have to start um, you know dropping points against lesser sides and really you could you could sum up Chelsea's season in the sense that they drew home and away against Man City in the league and lost home and away against Wolves like that is where Chelsea stand at the moment mm. they have to be better against the, the lesser sides but I thought it was a great day out um, great final I know a lot has been made of these six cup finals domestic cup finals that they haven't won they won the Champions League in 2021 we should not forget Lest we forget. Yes, we, we better not. And um, yeah, Chelsea, listen, tough game in the FA Cup, but they they got to keep going. they got to keep producing and they got to start upping themselves in the Premier League because Chelsea fans have high expectations. Mm. And I could hear a few hymns and alls with, with some of the changes on the weekend. And I'm not sure Chelsea fans are 100% behind Pochettino. Firstly, because of his loyalties to Tottenham. <laughs> Chelsea don't get on very well with, but also because of some of the results. But it's going to take time and unfortunately time is not something that is always offered to Premier League managers but for now I think it makes sense to stick with Pochettino. Okay. He's got one of those nine year contracts himself. It's <laughs> <laughs> it. Yeah, speaking of social media clips I, I do have a bit of racing news here but I think the, the clip of uh, was a Sobosly goading Chelsea fans on Wembley's famous blue running track yeah, that goes around the, the stage with everything else. But However, Paul, listen, you're sticking around we are going to be chatting Ireland-Wales um, and FA Cup as well and Mark Langdon will be joining us but Ruby um, racing news this morning Constitution Hill's participation in the champion hurdle is in doubt after the reigning champion had a below par workout and pre-Chelton visit to Kempton Park uh, Constitution Hill whose only start this season was in the Christmas hurdle at Kempton on St Stephen's Day the Seven Barrows uh, trainer said his superstar had uh, since scoped badly now since um, that news this morning um, Nicky Henderson did release a statement um, the follow-up saying that the sample... It really impressed you, Shane, didn't it? I, I did, yeah. I, I enjoyed the, the format, really. So it was an A4 page typed out and he just took a photo of it and stuck it on Twitter or X or whatever you're having yourself. And it was just like, it's casual, but it's to the point, you know? It, it has everything you need in it, really. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I know I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the old schoolness of it, really. Uh, I suppose. But however, the sample from um, Constitution Hills uh, Traquil Wash has shown a small increase in the number of neutrophils, which indicates a respiratory infection, which is significant but far from drastic. He will start a course of antibiotics immediately, and we plan to rescope him on Friday in order to monitor which way this uh, is going. He would only be having light exercise this week following uh, this morning's race course gallop, but our own vet and the race course uh, surgeon who scoped him feel we definitely have a chance of correcting this in time and we will be doing everything possible to do so. We have a fortnight to work him and it is possible so we will keep everybody notified accordingly. He's absolutely fine within himself and we have simply got uh, to get on top of this issue as quickly as possible. Were you concerned or when you heard the news uh, this morning? Oh, sure. when, uh, I suppose in, in simple terms, uh, Shane, a video from Kempton Park went quite viral in racing circles quite quickly uh, this morning and you knew by um, the amount of, I suppose, WhatsApps and messages and bookmaker reaction that something had gone awry at Kempton. But look, it's his two full weeks to the champion hurdle. So if it was to happen to him, he has enough of time. Four or five days on antibiotics should clear it up four or five easy days after a hard bit of work, he'd probably be having that anyway. So, you okay. know, canter Saturday, canter Sunday, he could work next Monday and next Thursday if, if Nicky thought he needed it. So he has the time to get over it in recovery. It's not an injury, it's a sickness and much quicker to recover from it. No different than, than humans. I mean, it's not quite a lung infection, but it's a bit more than a head cold. And if the antibiotics shift it and move it on, he'll bounce right back and luckily for him it's this Tuesday and not next Tuesday where he would be getting a bit tight on time to get over Absolutely well of course Ruby in 2005 the same kind of issue cropped up with kicking King connections effectively gave up in Cheltenham that year but of course he turned the corner a short time before Cheltenham and won the Gold Cup Yeah that was even further out that was even three weeks before it. but I saw it happen with horses since too I mean if you watched Vatour in 2016 I think it was um, he couldn't get out of his way this time next week Shane let alone this time this week mm. and turned the corner by the weekend and went to win at Cheltenham so look they're not machines they are animals and like all anything that lives they'll have good days and bad days but I'd say luckily for Constitution Hill he had the bad day two weeks before Cheltenham and not in a fortnight's time I must give credit to Dave Keena on Twitter for that bit of information Ruby you, as you suspected that wasn't yeah, off the was top of my head there was uproar at the time King King was ruled out and then obviously was treated with antibiotics and hastily rushed, uh, ruled out and then he started to come back to himself, showed a bit of life, did a bit of work and all of a sudden he's reinstated and the world is thinking, oh, what kind of a stroke were they pulling? Um, so, look, sometimes you're guilty when you do talk, you're guilty when you don't talk and people can always find a way just giving out. People love giving out. Anyway, Ruby, our racing conversation continues. Who's on the line, Ruby? Danny Mullins is going to join us on the line. I hope he's there, Shane, fresh from an opening day travel at the Dublin Racing Festival, 14 days away from Cheltenham. Danny Mullins, what did you make of the Constitution Hill News this morning? Yeah, sure, I suppose it was a bombshell, but uh, the concern would be why it went wrong and the fact that they found a dirty scope and they can correct that uh, issue this far out, as you said, uh, would probably leave everybody a little bit more relaxed while I'd say people from the outside looking in are somewhat more concerned. I'm sure they are. If you were if you were a betting, you can't, can't really ask it. You're not a betting man because you're a jockey. You're not allowed to bet, but <laughs> like he's still 2-1 to one on favourite. Con statement is now the very same because a non-runner no bet. But like if you were in, I'll put it this way. 10 days time I said to you, which one do you want to ride? Statement of Constitution Hill, what way would you be going? 
I'd still be leaning towards Constitution Hill. You know, he he's has the time to get over it. And if he turns up on the day, he's going to be over that sickness. And he still looks to be that 10 lengths ahead on what they met la- in last year's champion hurdle. But Stateman is a solid yardstick. But for me, Constitution Hill, it's still his race to lose. I think there is the answer for anybody listening. Do not doubt Constitution Hill just yet. Danny, obviously, Cheltenham is only 14 days away, but for someone like you, who is effectively a second jockey to a big yard, you probably have very little idea what you're going to ride. There's 28 races, four of those you can't ride in. That brings it back to 24. How many rides would you be hoping for in the week? Well, we have four days of race, and usually I'd end up with maybe two or three each day, so... If I could have eight to ten rides during the week, it'd be great. And fingers crossed, uh, as you say, between now and then, you know, Paul Townend is going to be getting the choice in all the horses and willies. And it's my job uh, to be making sure every horse is in good order coming out of willies and do everything I can do to play a small cog in the wheel and hopefully make Paul's choices very difficult. There are lots of choices for Paul Townend to make, but when you look through the races, and no doubt you have... Is there a couple of races in particular where you think, oh, that's going to be tricky for Paul? I might get on the right one there. Yeah, there's a few of them there. Uh, maybe the, the the juvenile hurdle on yeah the last day. Cargis, uh, who I won on at the Dublin Festival in Leperstown, she'd be a one I'd love to, to ride again. Uh, there's not a lot between the... The first three home, Marsborough was third, Stormheart was second, and Cargis won. So hopefully that'll be a tricky one for Paul to decide. And the English horse is an odds-on favourite there. So with a bit of luck, I think our form might have a bit more strength and depth and we can beat the English horse in it. That would be a good ride to get. Obviously, it starts with the Supreme Novices. Willie has a couple in there. Do you see any of the outsiders with a chance? You're looking down through them thinking, oh, if either Atlantique went in there and Paul Road, Tully Hill or Ballyburn or the likes of a Mr. Giff, is there any outsiders early in that card you're looking at? Early in the card, I think, uh, I'm not sure where he'll turn up. Uh, will he leave those decisions to late? But another way is uh, a horse of Simon Muneer and Isaac Swades that won quite impressively in Punchestown and you know I don't think he beat much on the day but it's the manner in which he won which would impress you and at 25 to 1 in a supreme he could be a lively each way contender I'd say ground is going to be quite soft for the first time in a long time in Cheltenham they haven't been watering the track and plenty of rain falling so the fact that he won on very soft ground in Punchestown it'd give him a lively squeak at big odds The second race on the opening day is the Arkell are you surprised Ilete Tomp, who you won the Arcalon in Leperstown at the Dublin Racing Festival, is longer in the betting than found a 50? Not really. I suppose on reputation, the Marine National uh, probably still ha- it builds up to the reputation of what he'd done last year. But on form, I think Ilete Tomp uh, is probably the, the best race, uh, best horse in the race. And with uh, a clear run of things again, Hopefully, they have a good chance of coming out on top. But there's maybe three or four of them there that you could throw a blanket over. Basile Vega has been a little bit disappointing this year. But even with those disappointments, it's only a handful of lengths that he has to make up. And he has an engine that can find those few lengths. 
We'll be lucky can. Lost him out, it'll be a warm order in the mayor's hurdle. But Danny, you did get the better of her once last year on Gallimar So she went on and won in France. She was disappointed the other day in Punchestown. Do you see Gallimar So or Lossie out as an absolute Irish banker or do you think a Gallimar So or a National Diamond who won in Doncaster can give her the rest? I think uh, of the odds on shots during the week, Lossie Mouth might be the one uh, I think that, that could be taken on. You know, she was so impressive in the international hurdle in Cheltenham in early January, but she's only a five-year-old coming over juvenile season, stepping up to two and a half miles. She's all speed and class, and this is going to be her first real test at this kind of trip and on ground that's probably softer than she's encountered before. And some of these older, hardier mares might be able to make up a few lengths that they just couldn't get nearer to her when things were about speed. I think this could be very tough and it'll be it'll be a good performance. Can she get the job done for a five-year-old stepping up and trip here? It most certainly would. The champion chase the feature race on Wednesday. El Fabiolo is the four to nine favourite. But what did you think of Edward Stone in Newbury? And do you think John Bond could bounce back from his Clarence House run? Do you think El Fabiolo is a is a solid one at four to nine? I think El Fabiolo is very solid at four to nine. You know, he he's improved all the way through the season. And for me, you know, the one thing that maybe he just overraced early in the season, he's starting to settle into it now. John Bond got beat in Cheltenham the last day and didn't really jump that well. But more so than the fact of not jumping well, you'd have to question why he didn't jump well. Was there an issue with him? Was he feeling a little bit of soreness somewhere? And, you know, they have a bit of time to get him right going back to Cheltenham. But it would leave a question mark over John Bond for me. Edward Stone... I think there was talk that he had a wind operation and they rode him a lot more positively around Newbury to win. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that in Cheltenham if he were to bounce out in front. For me, it only set up the race more for El Fabiolo. Um, the rest of the horses just don't look good enough to beat El Fabiolo. And as an odds-on shot goes, I think he's a rock-solid one. He could well be. Thursday's two feature races, the Ryanair and the State, Paddy Power Stairs Hurdle, are much more open. What would what would you fancy in the Ryanair? Do you find it a race hard to get a handle on? It's a very tricky race to get a handle on. I think Manbridge is probably the best horse in the race, but last year Joseph Bryan non runnered him and went to Aintree for a bit of nicer ground. And were the rain to keep falling, that could be knocking his chances there. Envoy Allen, he had a solid comeback run back in November in Down Royal, but hasn't been seen again since, and that's a big negative for me. You're looking down through the rest of them, possibly stage star Capadano over a trip that's probably too short for Capadano, but were the ground to be soft, he has a bit of class and won nicely in Cheltenham the last day. Maybe stage star you know, the Irish are starting to rule the meeting, but stage star could be the one by default that you land on here for the Ryanair chase. Your old ally, Florian Porter, is in the Paddy Powers there. hurdle. Of course, he did win two divisions of this race on him. I don't know if he's even going to go there, but when you look at it, it seems to me to be a race Gordon Elliott has by the scruff of the neck. I think, yeah, Gordon would have it by the scruff of the neck. There was a little bit of chat around that Irish point was going to have a crack at the champion hurdle and who knows with the Constitution Hill 
news this morning would they be leaning more towards that but I think Irish Point is the one that would take all the beating in this race Gordon's other horse Tehufu ran well in it last year but for me there were no excuses and you know Florin Porter is in there ran a solid race last year has been chasing this year could drop back but uh, I don't think uh, you know maybe he'd be going back there to win it Crambo, a good horse for Fergal O'Brien, got a great ride off Johnny Burke in Ascot the last day. But uh, I think on ability, Irish Point is the one I'd like in the stairs. I don't disagree with you there. And of course, Friday's feature, the Gold Cup, Gallop in the Champ, looking to go back to back. He's won his last two outings at Leperstown this season. Is he bombproof? I think he is. You know, he's very good. He got beat in Punchestown at the end of the year last year and on his reappearance both by fast or slow but I think that was some very clever placing by Martin Brazel you know he caught two horses on the hop in Punchestown at the end of the season and probably had fast or slow a little bit more ready than the opposition going for the John Durkin this year Gallop and the Champ bounced back to what is probably his best with his two performances in Leopardstown and I don't think there's anything there that can match that of the ones at a bigger price. I think Jerry Colombe over a slightly extended three miles in Cheltenham would be coming into it more and Lahom Press will be stepping up and trip again and going back left-handed for him will definitely help. He, he jumped out to his left in a tricky tactical race at Ascot the last day and he might be the each way better around about 14-1 to 1 the Gold Cup. You're hoping to have... 10, I think you'll have a little bit more than that kind of rides. Cargis was one you nominated. Is there any other one that you'd love to pick up the paper two days before and see yourself down to ride? I'd love to get a go on Ileta Tom again. Um, he was good in the Irish Arkle in Leopardstown. It's a race that uh, there's probably very little between all the fancied ones and you know, I think uh, I wasn't in the right place in him in Chelten, uh, on him in Cheltenham last year and where he should go back with his improved form over fences, he'd have a big chance of winning Arkle. He's the one you'd like to get on. Are you looking forward to it? Can't wait. You know, this uh, in sport this is our big week of the year and you know, if you weren't looking forward to this you'd have to sit down and have a chat with yourself. But when you're sitting there with the uncertainty of what you're going to ride, how many you're going to ride. Is that difficult? Do you find yourself having to stay abreast of an awful lot more form? I'd, I'd like to think I'd, I'd know nearly every horse going to Cheltenham. You know, uh, you were chatting about Florin Porter you know, winning two stair hurd- stairs hurdles for me and I only got that right an hour before the race. So I'd known all his form, probably on form. I, I didn't think he, he was going to win the race, but uh, get, when I got the information late that I was going riding him, I looked at the race, made a plan, and went from there. And you're hoping that during the week uh, you might get on a, another horse that's very good, and you have to be prepared for it. You know, it's uh, anything can happen in racing. From from here to Cheltenham, you have two weeks where all the screws are going to be tightened, and you know it's uh, horses and jockeys have to make it there in one piece but you have to keep the shoulder to the wheel and keep attacking between now and then and play to win rather than playing not to get beat 
You'd never ever sat in Florin Porter, just watched him in races before you rode him in the stairs hurdle. So would you think that there is a plus in not having time to overthink things? There's pluses and minuses. I suppose uh, it depends on the mentality of the the person involved and the, the team you're riding for as well. Um, for me, I suppose it, I'd rather known, known plenty and coming up with uh, what would hope be, hopefully be your plan A late on. But, you know, in, in those cases where it comes to you late, you just have to react and go forward. You most certainly did. Danny, thanks for taking our call. I hope you have a good two weeks and we'll have a good chat in a fortnight's time. It's time for a quick break here on Game On, but stay with us. We're back with soccer after these. Game On on 2FM. Now you're very welcome back to Game On. Before we welcome Belfast Telegraph uh, journalist Adam McKendry onto the show, Paul Corey is here uh, with us as we will be chatting soccer in a little while. But first, Paul, you do have team news from Tallis Stadium because Ireland are playing Wales in a friendly international this evening Eileen Gleeson obviously liked a lot of what she saw against Italy last week Shane because she's only made two changes for tonight's game against Wales and that sees Amber Barris and it also sees Leanne Kiernan coming into the side so what that looks like is Courtney Brosnan goals we have Jesse Stapleton Nee Fahey Megan Connolly Ruisha Littlejohn Amber Barris Katie McCabe Caitlin Hayes Heather Payne Kiernan and Jess Sue so I mean, it's it's hard to disagree with the performance that you saw last week, and I think a lot of people will be happy to see Amber Barr coming back into the side. She's quite an icon for for that squad. Yeah, on the cult hero. She cult absolutely hero. is a cult hero. And I think when you saw the disallowed goal last week, you saw a good combination between herself and Leanne Kiernan. So. Hopefully we see a bit more of that but uh, Eileen Gleeson obviously very happy with the performance from last week and mm. something to build on. Surprise only two changes? Somewhat because I think when you have the squad together for that short window you want to maybe try things out and maybe see different faces in different positions but maybe she feels like she's got the foundations of something good and particularly with, with some of the younger players that are starting and maybe haven't got the same sort of caps as maybe the experienced players on the bench she just wants to give them a bit more time and this is certainly the time to do it because they are important and competitive fixtures just around the corner Absolutely Okay good stuff Paul you're sticking around Rebecca Cray and Mark Langdon will be joining us uh, very shortly but on the line now is Adam McKendry uh, a sports journalist with the Belfast uh, Telegraph and lots to get through in terms of uh, Ulster stories and indeed uh, an all-Ireland bid for the Tour de France Let us begin uh, by firstly Adam uh, thanking you for taking the call uh, you're very welcome along to Game On um, Starting with Casement Park because the delegation from the organisers of the Euro 2028 football tournament uh, were, are expected to arrive uh, in Belfast today uh, ahead of a visit to Casement Park. The venue in West Belfast is earmarked, of course, to host games at the tournament in four years, but the stadium has yet to be redeveloped. This has just been headline news for quite some time now. What is the latest, Adam McKendry? Well, there was a delegation, yes, as you say, uh, heading to Casement Park today to take a look at the site. Obviously, there's not a lot to look at right now in terms of building work, but what work has begun has been pretty significant in that it has gotten underway, that they're starting to clear away some of the the old rubble at, at the ground and they're starting to sort of get the terraces cleaned up so that they can begin proper work on it. So I think really what they're trying to show to UEFA today and this delegation that 
the ground is going to be in a position to be ready for Euro 2028 and showing them that work has begun, that there are plans in place where certain things are going to be. Now, obviously, there is only so much that they can show them, but it's essentially just a, a side viewing to, to show them that it, it's not just a, a ground zero, essentially. It's, it, it is somewhere that they have plans for and that they can actually pinpoint where certain things are going to be. So um, we know that the delegation arrived today. They're, uh, they're also going to be heading to, to Windsor Park tonight for, for Northern Ireland's game against Montenegro in the, uh, in the Nations League. But for now, I, I think what they've just been showing them really is we have a viable site here. And to sort of uh, assuage any concerns that there have been that uh, Casement Park will, will not be ready for Euro 2020 yet. For Casement Park to stage our whole games in 2028, it has to be ready in 2027. That's almost four years to, to build it. But the cost of it, the overrun and what was budgeted to where it is now, are they any closer to finding the extra good few million? Well, I mean, the... the Money said uh, that the uh, Irish government have pledged to to Casement Park has been massively helpful. Of course, I mean forty million pounds is a significant amount towards that. But I think that the bigger concern really is any further delays to the project. You know, the cost has already risen back from July, whenever the NI Auditor General said that it would be around seventy five million pounds that would be required. Uh, or sorry, the, she said it would be between 112 million and 140 million and now it's risen by about 75 million to to just over 200 million pounds that will be required to, to build the stadium so time is of the essence as you say you know the longer that this building project goes on the more and more the costs rise so time is of the essence and what really they, they could do with it is just making sure that they're make, meeting all those milestones. And I know there's been a lot of talk about the GAA potentially supplying a, a bit more investment in, into Casement Park. And I think they're still holding out hope that potentially that's something that that could be talked around to. But uh, certainly you're absolutely right with the timeline, the way, the way it is. You know, it has to be ready by summer 2027 for EFA to give that that final sign-off for it to be uh, a venue for Euro 2028. So they, they at least have that. If, if it was a case of they, they only needed to build it for a general time, then I think you, you might be looking at a little bit of a different scenario. But now they very much have this defined timeline that they have to work to, and I think that's going to work in their favour to try and get this built. How realistic is the fear that this could be scuppered because of a lack of an appetite from across the board politically? I mean, whenever you look at the opposition that there has been to Casement hosting games at, at Euro 2028, you know, we, we've seen supporters at Northern Ireland games having banners saying no to Casement Park. They'll never go and watch a game at Casement Park. Uh, and of course, the, there has been a, a lot of holding out in terms of Stormont not even coming back over issues, not solely Casement Park, of course, but, you know, part of it was uh, linked to Casement Park. So um, there have been holdouts for that reason, but... Crucially, I, I think now that Stormont is back and they are all working in that direction, I think the 
the tourism boost and the economic boost that Euro 2020 would bring to Northern Ireland, I think, trumps anything else because they realise that getting the uh, the visitors to Northern Ireland, getting teams to Northern Ireland, the exposure of having games at Casement Park would be beneficial for all of Northern Ireland. So uh, I don't think the political side of things is necessarily going to be the issue anymore. Now that there has been a commitment to this is this is going to happen, this or this this is what they are building towards. Uh, there is now a unified pull of, of trying to get Casement Park built. Uh, so that I don't think is going to be much of a stumbling block. It will more be the uh, the financial side of things. That is Casement Park, of course. Belfast are also hoping to be involved in a bid to. to Stage the grand depart of the Tour de France. The Giro d'Italia did start here in 2014. How is that looking and how big a bid is that? And again, how costly is that? Well, yeah, I mean, costly, of course, yes. You, you have to factor in the financial side of things, but you, you're always tempering it with what are the financial rewards on the other side. Whenever the Giro d'Italia came in 2014, you know, brought in two and a half million pounds in economic activity and 12 and a half million pounds in tourism impact. And there were around 225,000 people came to, to Northern Ireland for the Giro d'Italia. And with a grace of respect to the, to the Giro, the Tour de France is a, an event that has even more of a global appeal. So, you know, how many more people will come, how much more will be raised. So, yes, there will have to be an outgoing. I, I haven't seen a, a figure of, of what would have to be spent in order to to bring the Tour de France to uh, to Northern Ireland and Ireland as, as part of what would be a, a cross-border bid. But I certainly think that how they are looking at it is the rewards on the other side of it would be far greater. And even just to maintain that that sporting heritage of Northern Ireland of having these these big events, having something like the Tour de France coming to our shores would, would just be a fantastic thing to be able to say. It most certainly is. And the other course story in Northern Ireland tonight is the fact that Charlotte Burns will be in Windsor Park with Michelle O'Neill for the Women's International against Montenegro. How big a story is that in the north? Oh, it, it's massive. I think having the GAA president attend Windsor Park for the first time is a is a massively significant move, especially with the whole Casement Park situation. You know, having the GAA president come to Windsor Park and show his face there and show that the GAA is trying to step across this supposed divide, and I say that in, in air quotes, um, you know, proving that there is inclusion within these organisations is huge. And alongside Michelle O'Neill being there, you know, the first uh, Sinn Féin first minister being at Windsor Park. And whenever she she took office, she said that she would be a first minister for all. And I, I know a lot of people maybe wouldn't have believe that on, on certain parts of Northern Ireland until they actually saw it. But the fact that she is going to be there, she is going to show her face and uh, have a have a prominent role in, in this game tonight, uh, I think is, a, is just a massive step forward for, for Northern Ireland as a whole and just to, just to kind of bridge some of those gaps that, that do still remain within Northern Ireland. 
Great stuff. Adam McHenry of the Belfast uh, Telegraph. Thanks very much for joining us this evening uh, on Game On. That uh, Northern Ireland match kicks off at 7 o'clock against Montenegro in uh, their League B qualification playoff. Uh, the Ireland-Wales match kicks off at half seven and that's what we're going to be previewing after the break in the company of Paul Curry and Rebecca Cray. Game On. Football. Now you're very welcome back to Game On as we look ahead at Ireland versus Wales in a international uh, friendly in Tala Stadium. Uh, live on RT2 television as uh, Eileen Gleeson looks to continue her unbeaten run as manager after seven games. But uh, certainly, Paul, uh, she will be hopeful of extending that streak tonight against a team ranked at 32nd in the world, eight places uh, below Ireland uh, in what is the final warm-up game for both teams ahead of the draw for the uh, European Championship qualifiers on uh, March 5th. Uh, looking at the team from, from that Italy match and the 4-1, 4-1 setup, which deviated somewhat from, from the Nations League and we expected it to deviate as well considering the um, step up in opposition that, that they're playing and Eileen was very quick to mention the adaptability that seemed to kind of be the, the, the buzzword that this isn't just a team that plays free-flowing attacking football or sits back and looks to get the team on the, on the, on the counter-attack and I suppose that just feeds into the development of this Irish women's national team Yeah and I think listen that's what a lot of people were calling for off the back of Vera Powell's reign is that we need to be a bit more adaptable and particularly when we're playing opposition in and around our level or below ourselves I always go back you need to let the hand break down a bit and mm. let players go and express themselves but then I think you also have to be realistic in the sense that when we play teams who are of a rank above us we need to be able to adapt to those situations and potentially be able to set up in whether it be two banks of four you want to go four one four and try to get bodies behind the ball but I think the main point here Shane is that we need to evolve on to the next level and I think Listen, we saw elements of that within the Nations League. We had what seems to be quite an easy group, but I think you could see within the the patterns of our play that there was there was signs there that there was a little more freedom given to the players from Eileen. And I think now that we've come out of the Nations League and we're looking forward to the Euros, these two games, the first one against Italy and the game tonight against Wales, are really good benchmark of, of kind of where we are and I think Eileen will be looking to see a bit more of that sort of free-flowing football within our game while also not losing the element of being difficult to beat and being aggressive and being solid um, in those two banks of four. So listen, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's great to see some more new faces coming into the squad that one we saw against Italy but we'll get to see again tonight and particularly looking forward to seeing that Amber Barris, Leanne Kiernan um, combination up top because I think they have qualities within their game that somewhat complement each other Amber's very good holding up the ball running the channels and then Leanne Kiernan's got blistering pace that can take her away from back four so listen you'd be hoping to see a nice open game you would be hoping to see a good solid Irish performance but I think what's very important here is continuing momentum into the European Championship qualifiers and if we could get another win tonight off the back of the Nations League off a really good performance against Italy they're the type of indications they're the type of, of green shoots that you want to see and you want to carry into a competitive competition competitive group stages and qualify for another hopefully uh, major tournament Paul, when I look at the two squads, Ireland and Wales, we have two players based in Piedmont. Wales only have two players based in Cardiff. Everybody else is playing abroad, be it the USA, Spain or, or in England. Looking at them purely on paper, looking at the clubs everyone plays for, this could be a fairly even game. Yeah, it could be. And I guess what that lends itself to as well, Ruby, is a lot of these players are probably quite familiar with playing against one another and probably in a certain similar style. I can't imagine Wales are going to be too different how they set up to ourselves. So, yeah, listen, I, I think it'd be highly competitive. I think Wales have probably come through a very difficult patch. Um, they were in the Nations 
league rank above us and and had difficult opposition against Iceland against Denmark and against Germany and they've been on the end of some thumping so this is the first game of 2024 for Wales and I'm sure I'm, I'm pretty certain they haven't got a manager in charge right now there's yeah, somebody so coming the, in the, the, the situation the basically and that kind of leads to the, the transitional period that, that, that Welsh football is in at the moment last month Gemma Granger um, who led them to the World Cup playoffs departed to take over as Norway boss there was a couple of comments from the players that pretty much her on the bus about mm. kind of just leaving leaving the, the squad when she did having been there for uh, having three years still left on her contract as well so just on Monday um, former Canada international Rian Wilkinson uh, who led Portland Thorns to the US Nationals Women's uh, Soccer League in 2022 uh, will succeed Granger however um, she will be there in in this evening but it's going to be former assistant and current interim head coach John Gray who's in charge for the match um, with a potential of calling up five debutants all under 19 Well the so fact that Wilkinson is there I mean players want to be putting down a marker tonight mm. to be included in, in future squads but yeah you would expect this this game for Ireland tonight is a really good test of to see where we are but also where they are and listen a lot of these players will be playing against each other whether it be in the WSL or, or in the championship over in the UK so you'd expect that they would know each other's a, a huge contingent from Bristol City involved in both squads so I'm really looking forward to it it was great to see um, I was coming across the city green shirts heading out to Tala you know the four stands that are there today we can make that a bit of a fortress our home record has been particularly good you don't want to lose that in it albeit a, a friendly game you want to carry that momentum in and I, I'm really looking forward to this game Yeah I think with that upgraded uh, capacity of 10,000 Tallis Stadium I think just over 8,000 tickets have been sold or, mm. or distributed anyway so it could be Yeah a, and I was listening to Katie McCabe's comments about selling out Tala and then selling out the Aviva and I mean the game that they had against Northern Ireland in the Aviva mm. off the back of the, the World Cup was absolutely unbelievable I was there we were covering the game for, for Saturday Sport and the atmosphere I mean so much of the the uh, I guess the atmosphere around the men's team hadn't been great in, in yeah. the lead up to that game and it was such a It was a tonic it was and it was a welcome relief that when the women's team came into the Aviva that the atmosphere that they were greeted and the homecoming that they had and then the performance they put on in the day there is a an argument there that they should have more games within the Aviva and I think you could get bigger crowds if you're putting it in such an environment um, that Lansdowne Road offers so listen it's it's all about building blocks for the women's game the I guess the growth that they've had over the last number of years you want to continue that and you want to see fresh faces you want to see players being developed and you want to see them being given opportunities and you want to qualify for more major competitions so I love the hunger I love the desire about the squad and, and absolutely we do not want to lose that but we also want to see maybe just a bit more expression in our play a bit more creativity and I think we have the players to do that well, Eileen Gleeson is building momentum and Katie McCabe is doing her best to drum up enthusiasm can that be said about the men's team? Who's next in line? Paul Clement. I had to go and look him up, Paul Carey. <laughs> well, he had, he had really good stints, if I remember back, with, with Chelsea under Ancelotti and then heading over to Real Madrid. They were highly successful, but that hasn't carried itself into first-team management whenever he's been given opportunities, and it does feel a bit like I'm unemployed and going to stick my hand up here because there's a job going. So I, I'm not surprised to, to maybe see him put himself out there and put himself in in the shop window I'm just not sure that somebody whose record isn't hugely successful as a first team manager is what we're looking for I'd say he's brilliant on the training ground I know Frank Lampard brought him into Everton mm -hmm. as well but I'd say from a coaching perspective he's absolutely brilliant but I think we probably need to lean on somebody with just a little bit more experience of, of being able to graft out results and, and 
you know, get points when, when things matter. And unfortunately for Paul Clement, it hasn't always worked out for him when he's gone into first team management. Paul, for me, looking as an outsider in, soccer is obviously not my first sport, but as an international manager, how much coaching can you actually do? To me, it looks like you get players for very short windows of times. You've got to create a team and get a result. Is it really a coach you need? Good question. I, th- I think you probably need a balance of the two and whether you get that coaching from your support staff and you, you I mean, oversee it as a manager or whether you're kind of hands-on on the pitch. I, th- I still think you can do a bit, Ruby. I mean, if you look at Stephen Kenny and, and the way he went about things, that was very different to what we'd experienced previously under under different managers. And I think the manager has a huge say in how we set up and how we play. So I think you can do a bit. I think you give the players a bit of a framework to work within and then you somewhat you know, rely on the form of players or the ability of players to then execute from there. So, yeah, listen, <laughs> he wants a head coach, though. Mark Hannum has, has said this and also not only wants that, but wants to play in this this style, this pathway from, from grassroots football up that Eileen Gleeson Yeah, but I kind of get that. That's going to shoot them in the foot, surely. Because though. a manager in the UK, I mean, you delegate a lot of that. I think somebody who comes in from, well, I know what you're saying from shooting himself in the foot, but if you also listen to what was said with Liverpool during the week, they were talking about the academy players and how it was great that they were able to step into the first team and they knew exactly how to play. I don't think Mark Hannum is saying to the future manager, you have to play 4-4-2, you have to play 3-5-1. I think what they're looking for is a bit of an identity with regards to certain positions, whether it be defenders and midfielders. This is what we're looking for. This is the way we want to play. And if we can execute in that way, absolutely. If not, you know, we have to graft out against the France at home. Of course, listen, Mark Hannum's not completely stupid. He realises that they have better players and at times we're going to have to shut up shop. But I, to, back to Ruby's question, I think there is a bit you can do. Of course, you're not getting huge amounts of time with players. I think you can be in communication with players in the lead up to camps time on the pitch is limited but I still think a manager whoever gets a job has a major say in how we set up and how we play mm. but it, seem, it certainly seems now that like Lee Carsley has to be off the cards at this stage and we are looking outside of Carsley and whether it's a Clement or whoever it might be um, it's going to be a difficult job on the basis that everybody knows that Carsley was our first choice but again for me looking from the outside in you have you say that Mark Hannum wants an identity but you have 22 players you can't have X identity that doesn't suit the squad players you have right now surely you get your identity from whatever your squad is yeah and I, I think there's a major argument for that you know you, you you play the type of football based on the hand that you're dealt I think when Canham is talking about identity and a framework that he wants the players to play within I think he's thinking further down the line like the title of that document was you know pathway mm. and plan mm. further down the line and ideally what we would do is we would produce players from a younger age and bring them through a system so that when they get to the senior team they are fitting into a system that they've been worked in over the last kind of five, ten years of their development and maybe that's exactly where they see it going I think for the present moment what we have to be is more pragmatic than what Stephen Kenny played his football and we were too open and we weren't I guess good enough in possession of the football to go and break down teams I think you know if we're talking about the the women's team it was that we were too conservative and we're looking to to be a bit more open the men's team we were too open we're trying to be a little more pragmatic there has to be a balance with and without the ball how you set up mm. in order to you know get points we haven't got the players technically good enough to go and dominate possession and dominate games so whoever comes in you would hope and that's where I think you you know, you talk about experience and managers and people who've been within the game for a period of time. I think that's where they can put their stamp on the team and say, in this situation, this is how we're going to set up and this is what we're wanting from you in certain positions. And that is why the appointment is so important. 
Adaptability. That's what we need, as Eileen Gleeson said. Um, Mark Langdon is also on the line uh, to wrap up European football. And Mark, let us begin our conversation with supporter power wins out. My favourite topic in football, the German Football League has abandoned plans to sell a stake in the media because of supporter. Fan power has won out, Mark. It certainly has. Um, and you know, you often hear, certainly in, in the UK, fans saying, you know, we've got no control over our clubs. We've got no say. There's nothing we can do. You know, you hear that when maybe some owners take over um, that, you know, um, might not be celebrated everywhere. Um, or there's nothing we can do about it. Well, the German um, sort of support groups have shown there is another way. Um, the Bundesliga was in discussions with a um, sort of private equity firm about putting some uh, cash into the German game to um, get a stake of between 8 and 12%. And they were going to take, um, you know, a, a cut of future earnings. This was all about marketing the clubs better. The fans were of the opinion that what this was all about was maybe, you know, pricing up the tickets more expensive um, in terms of TV deal, maybe playing on days they didn't want to, to go and watch football, Monday night um, being a prime example. And so they staged protest after protest after protest until um, the German football authorities eventually backed down. Um, we saw um, bicycles chained to goalposts. Uh, there were games delayed for sort of 15, 20 minutes. You got the tennis balls on the pitch. There were um, smoke bombs brought onto a pitch by remote control cars and then let off um, to, to kind of disrupt games. I mean, the, the Bundesliga was almost unwatchable for about sort of three weeks because the fans were doing everything they could w within their power to to, to, to make the, the games you know as disrupted as they possibly could. Uh, one, um, one firm backed out, uh, which left one remaining, and eventually that was pulled the plug as well. So um, the German fans are saying um, no to um, sort of big business coming in and kind of having too much of a say on the way the game is run Financially then have the, will the German fans invest enough money in German football to keep it up to speed with Europe or have the German fans held German football back in terms of competing in Europe Yeah so I, I mean it's a good point uh, Ruby but I, I think the, 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 how the German fans see it is that they would rather pay, I'm just going to pluck as kind of Euro figure out, that they would rather pay 20 Euros for a ticket, um, as an example, and watch kind of their team um, have lesser players than what you get in, say, the Premier League, where um, it's upwards of sort of 60, 70 um, euros to go and watch a game, um, probably even more than that in, in some cases. And yes, you get to see better players. Yes, they're probably more likely to you know go deeper in, into Europe, but that's not the be-all and end-all for the German fan. The match day experience, being close to your club, being connected to your club, having a say in your club is seen as more important than spending £20 million on kind of, you know, a reserve right back like, like we see in the Premier League. So it's all about the priorities um, and they would rather watch, I suppose, lesser football, in inverted commas, um, than kind of have what happens to the Premier League fans where they're told what day they're playing and, you know, ticket prices are extortionate in, in, in many cases. Great stuff. Mark Langdon, thank you very much. Paul Corey, thank you very much. Just before we go, it's time to give away that amazing energy prize and send someone to one of Ireland's women's rugby home games this year uh, in the Guinness Six Nations. Massive congratulations to Catherine Bulger from County Wexford. You've just won a family set of four tickets, a signed Irish women's rugby jersey and 100 euros spending money for a home game of your choice. And the good news for everyone else, there's lots more chances to win with energy happening across uh, the show this week. So tune in again tomorrow for a chance to win. Big thanks to Ronan Lawler, Laurie Davis working on this evening's show for myself, Ruby and all of the game on team. Stay tuned to 2FM because better to Silva 
is up next after the news and we'll chat to you again tomorrow at 6. RTE 2FM